Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for the week of September 16th. I'm your host for this week, Jason Smedley. On this week's edition, we'll be talking about a variety of topics from women in agriculture and the business of agricultural banking to an award-winning rodeo team and a major rice donation to the Arkansas Food Bank. First up, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Keith Sutton talks to Thomas Gerard of Marion, Senior Vice President of First National Bank of Eastern Arkansas. His family is from Crittenden County and his roots run deep in farming. So he spoke with Keith about marketing, risk management, and crop diversification, and offered tips that might help farmers during tough years like this one. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I'm in Marion, Arkansas with Thomas Gerard, Senior Vice President of the First National Bank of Eastern Arkansas. Thomas, welcome to AgCast. Thanks, and thanks for having me. We're glad to have you here to talk about uh, something a little bit different today. We want to talk a little bit about agricultural lending and borrowing. Uh, that's your strong suit. Tell us a little bit about what you do here at the bank in regards to that. Well, I, I started in uh, with First National Bank of Eastern Arkansas in October of 2017. I've got a, a prior 12-year background with agricultural lending. Uh, with another bank and with also within the farm credit system. But I've been here since October of 2017, and my primary function is uh, be a part of the management team for the bank, and also I've kind of specialized in the ag credits throughout uh, our service territory, which is a, a six-county footprint, and we've got 14 branch locations to service our customer base. What are some of the counties you service besides Crittenden County? Mississippi County, of course, Crittenden, uh, Cross, St. Francis, Lee, and Monroe counties. So those are all big agricultural counties. Yes, sir. They are. Our, our bank is headquartered in St. Francis County in Four City, and it was chartered in 1886. So we've got a, a long history with uh, the Delta in East Arkansas. So. These days, how important is agriculture to what your bank does? It's, it's vitally important to what our, our, our loan portfolio is, our uh, customer base for deposits. Uh, all of that is kind of the backbone of, 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 of the bank and how it, how it was founded and how it's been structured over the years. Ag credits are a big part of what we do on a daily basis. So, in recent years, what are some of the trends that you've seen in terms of agricultural borrowing and lending? Over more recent times, it's, 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 it's been a struggle with crop prices. Soybeans, cotton, corn, uh, those, those are all lower due to the lack of, uh, of, of trade with China. Uh, and hopefully those issues will, will be worked out uh, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, we had an extremely tough fall in 2018, and it was extremely tough getting the crop out. I think from October until April, we did not have a four-day stretch without any rainfall that was associated. And our customer base had a really tough time getting the crop out. It was mudded out. Fields had a lot of ruts in them. 
On top of that, we had a wet spring. Uh, following that up, there was a lot of field work that had, had to be done. So there's been a lot more labor intensive work in the field uh, leading up to where we are now t just to get the crop in the field due to all of the rainfall that we've experienced over the last 10 months. So explain for people who might not know, what does all that mean for you as a banker? What well, does it mean uh, you've got a lot more people here coming in and out needing this and that? What, what does that mean for you? Well, it's, it's, it's extremely uh, time-consuming and a lot more labor-intensive for the customer. We, of course, get a lot more visits because those guys aren't in the field and they're in the office more wanting to talk about possible equipment purchases or uh, just general overhead and expenses with their operations. Uh, so it's, it's been a little bit more FaceTime with the customer than what we're normally accustomed to seeing just because they're not in the field, which that also means uh, during, during the times they are in the field, it's long hours, it's a lot of expense with the diesel being burned due to the rainfall, and it's just been a more expensive uh, last, last couple of years than what we're accustomed to seeing. So... For the farmers out there who may be looking at and doing some banking now, what are some of the tips that you might suggest for them that might be helpful to them in this environment right now? Well, there's there's one thing. I had an excellent mentor when I started um, in, in the credit business in 2005, and, and he always taught me that cash was king. So from a credit aspect, when I look at a set of financials for a customer or a potential customer, I always look at the ability for the customer to retain working capital within the operation. That gives me a, a level of comfort that they that they that they generate a profit, you know, kind of on a year-to-year -year basis, and then during times of adversity, they also have the ability to utilize some of that retained working capital and earnings uh, to kind of shore up whatever shortfall from a margin standpoint that they may have may have had. Um, well, uh, let's let's look at some other advice maybe. What else might you suggest to, to Joe Farmer who's uh, thinking about coming by that they need to consider when they're visiting with their banker or their loan officer? You know, ag has gotten so expensive from a production as aspect that um, when I started lending in 2005, the, the, the cost of production on a per acre basis was half of what it is now. So it's it's a lot more capital intensive to raise a crop now than what it is. And we're still dealing with the same uh, or tighter margins than what we were dealing with back then. We had 2008 through 2012 was, was a, a booming time for the farmer where they were being able to make good money. Since that time, income levels have, have dropped. And with that having been said, with the cost of production being what it is, it's more about risk management now, uh, crop insurance, you know, have, having a level of, of protection out there that, that will um, sustain you during times of adversity uh, or qualifying through one of the programs through NRCS, like a CSP program where the customer is already doing the conservation practices that are, that are out there. They just might not have gone to the NRCS office to see if they qualified for that. So 
it's, it's all about risk management and with with the cyclical nature of crop prices for corn, soybeans, wheat, rice, cotton, all of that that, that, that we uh, loan money on, anytime that there is an opportunity for a person to make money, they need to sell some of their crop. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's fine to hit a double. You don't need to strike out waiting for a pitch to hit a home run on because that pitch usually doesn't come. Uh, if everybody knows their uh, break even and is, is comfortable with that number with the level of overhead that they have, they need to take some of their production prices uh, off the table and take a profit instead of waiting on that home run hit. Um, that's that's always been a been a big point for for most people is they don't know exactly where they are in their operation and as as farmers get bigger as farmers get more sophisticated with the use of technology uh, they're more attuned to those break-even numbers now than what they have been in the past and not just sell the crop across the scale so so one of the biggest things that I key on is just risk management because it's all just about management, managing the level of risk within each person's operation. So it, it sounds to me like a lot of what farmers have to do begins on the farm. They've, they've got a lot of work to do themselves before they consider getting a loan. Uh, it is. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into raising a crop. These are multi-million-dollar operations, uh, just from a production aspect, not including any real estate or equipment purchases that they may have out there. So it's an ex- extremely big capital expenditure year after year, and it's it's a year-long business. Now those guys are working 12 months out of the year, planning and trying to strategize for for what crop suits their rotation best. <coughs> Excuse me. And <clears throat> as as we move into the future, rotation is going to be key with the money that's being spent on on uh, trying to kill the pigweed that's out, out there now. And there's a lot of discussion um, in public and social media about it. Uh, but it's just risk management has always been, been key. And Another kind of tagline that I'd like to add to that is uh, talk with your loan officer, talk with your banker. You know, if, 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 if you're not telling him the whole picture of what's going on within your operation, he can't make a educated uh, uh, idea or choice or a decision for you that, that, that best suits your operation. You know, when, when most of my guys come in, uh, you know they're they they're open and honest, and we have you know a good discussion about you know what the practices are, where they are in their operations, you know any outside debt that's that's out there, and and if we don't have a true accurate picture of of everything that's going on within the operation, it's it's tough for us to give advice and counsel uh, during some of those times of adversity. So you really have to have trust. You do. Between the two of you to make this work the best that it could. You do. It's trust and it's a relationship business. I, you know, I feel like from my standpoint, I've got a good relationship with all of my customers, and, that, and that's something that I've always strived with to have a good working relationship with all of them and to offer a level of customer service that that I hope they become accustomed to and and enjoy doing business with me and with the bank. Well, this has been a really tough 
past few months for everybody. The weather's been a problem. Uh, crop price has been a problem. The trade war with China's been a problem. What are some of the trends maybe you see looking forward into next year? Do you uh, see things getting better, maybe staying the same? Of course, we can't predict the weather, but uh, what, looking in your crystal ball, what do you see in the next year or so that's coming up? You know, with, with Mother Nature, it's always hard to tell what's going to be out there, so you kind of have to just throw that out to the side. Uh, one of the big issues is, is, is the trade war with China and what is going to happen with that. They've announced they're going to have another round round of talks in October. Hopefully that, that comes to a decision of or an agreement of some type on the agriculture side of the trade issue. Um, you know, it's it's all about risk management and, and, and margin. And if you know where your mar- margin is and, um, you know, you know where your break even is, plant more of that crop. You know, locally, we've had the ability to, to start growing more peanuts as an alternative source of income. And the, and the peanut farmer, with how the uh, Delta peanut shelling facility is set up, they're an equity owner within the company and they own the crop from, from the time they, they sell it. And they also get some of the money that's sold to the end user and they're vertically integrated. All of those types of resources for additional income or value added is is certainly helpful and adds to the bottom line. And it's also an excellent rotational crop with cotton. Uh, and it, it's a crop where we we have had some acres here over the last five to seven years. But with the buying point that's being built down in Mariana, as well as the shelling facility and buying points up in Jonesboro, it's an excellent alternative crop for us locally. Uh, to have in our toolbox. It's just another tool for us to be able to use to try to add value to our bottom line. It's sort of easy to get stuck in a rut. You do the same things over and over, but there really are some new things out there. This week I heard a farmer planting sesame in this area. That's another crop that maybe folks could look at. So it's important to be be aware of what's going on uh, new that maybe you didn't know as well. That's right. It's always, you know, most 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 of these guys have a consultant, uh, and they they stay up to date on production practices, so on and so forth. New things coming down the pipeline. Anything that you can add value to your bottom line, um, you know, there's there's risk associated with all that, and the tried and true is, is certainly uh, worked out well for a lot of people, but. Uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to, to try out something new in this day and time uh, from the peanut standpoint and some other potential crops that are out there that, that could add rotation and value to your bottom line. So if uh, folks wanna have a visit with you someday, how do they get in touch? Would you like to tell sure, them they, that? They can call the bank. My, my office is, is actually in, in Marion, uh, and that's where I'm located now. I grew up in Mariana on a farm, a family farm. My, my dad and my brother and uncles all still farm down there. So I, I kind of have, you know, firsthand uh, experience on both sides of the desk, what it's like to come in to, to ask for a crop loan and be on the receiving end of that. Uh, and I, I work a lot in that Mariana St. Francis County area as well. That's where the bulk of my customers are. Uh, but, but sure, they, they can call us here at the bank at 
870-739-6100 or uh, you can uh, find me on email as well at tgerard at fnbea.com. Very good. We appreciate, Thomas, you taking time to share some of these insights from your years of experience. And uh, thank you very much for being on AgCast. Thank you. I certainly enjoyed the conversation and the opportunity. Next, we have an interview with Nita Cooper, who spent her entire career with the U of A Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service and is now working to promote women working in agriculture in Boone County. She talked to Greg Patterson about her experiences in agriculture and the importance of women in the industry. This is Greg Patterson on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. We're talking with Nita Cooper. And Nita lives on a farm up in Boone County where she farms with her husband, Gary. They run a cow-calf operation. Both are retired, but worked in the ag sector. Gary was an appraiser for the FSA folks. And Nita worked with Cooperative Extension. And tell us, you know, women in agriculture, it's a big thing now and people are following it. How did you get involved in agriculture? Well, I began my extension career uh, as, as I was graduating uh, from, from college. Uh, extension had, had, had gone through a hiring freeze but opened up and was fortunate enough to apply and was encouraged to apply and got an interview and started my extension career in Faulkner County. So that's really started uh, my career in agriculture and working for the Extension Service. So how many years did you work for Extension? 30 plus years, almost 31 years. All right, so in 30 plus years, you probably had a variety of, of responsibilities or positions within Extension Service. Tell us about some of the things that you did. Okay, well, when I was in uh, Faulkner County, I was there almost four years, which, uh, my area was 4-H home economics, and that's, that was a while ago, so I know home economics now is a family and consumer science, but my main responsibility was uh, the 4-H program in Faulkner County, and very fortunate enough to work with some great mentors, and uh, after being there almost four years, was transferred to Boone County, where again, I worked with our 4-H program and family and consumer science, and uh, Ended up meeting Gary after I moved to, to Boone County, and as they say, <laughs> here I am. So, uh, but through the course of my extension career, you just you just do what you what uh, what you need to do to help people. And um, as I retired, I had stepped into the position of staff chair and had taken on some community development responsibilities and basically just whatever we needed to do and to help folks in Boone County, that's what we did. If it's something in the ag, ag production field or uh, you know family consumer science, community development or 4-H. So. What are some of the, you know, obviously women in agriculture is a term that's that's basically been born recently, uh, but you've been involved in it for 30 plus years. Do you find that there's more women turning to actual agriculture work on the farm versus, you know, being involved, let's say, with extension or whatever? How has that changed over time uh, while you were in ag? Well, I think if you look at the, the ag census, then definitely there are more uh, women who are in that primary position on the farm. But if you go back to 
you know, women have always helped. It, you know, I think now we're just kind of getting a little more uh, notoriety. But, but women, I mean, it's always it's always taken a team, men more than a team, to to make things work. Whether you're talking about a farm or a home or a biz, any other type of business, so um, I think uh, maybe it is just a little bit of a little bit more notoriety or uh, documentation if you're coming if you think about the ag census, but. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's always been there, but I think now it's just getting noticed a little more. You know, and we were having a conversation earlier and you were talking about um, a project or a program um, that has a specific name that, that you'll be able to relate to our, our uh, listeners, where, uh, you know, women a lot of times lost a husband or a mm-hmm. spouse in, in, in a way, and all of a sudden they had a farm on their hands. Exactly. And talk about that particular project and and how that's helped women in ag now okay um that's annie's project and that is uh, actually a workshop that we did it was a joint effort with several different counties uh Boone being one of them uh, which really focuses on women in agriculture and specifically women that are put into a position to run a farm or ranch that for whatever reason uh whether it be uh the, a spouse that has died either prematurely early on or, or whatever, uh, but just put in that position. But it's helped, Annie's project helps uh, women have a complete understanding of all the risk areas of agriculture and how it relates to their operation. And one of the things we talked about is sometimes women are, are thrown into that situation and they may or may not know where their husband marketed their product, whether that's cattle or whether it's if they are on a row crop uh, farm or, or whatever. Uh, but it's just knowing, you know, how, what do I do with this? Now that I have this, what do I do with it? Um, or, you know, on the other hand, maybe they have the farm and they've decided this really isn't for me, but how do they disperse of that and, uh, and really not, not get taken advantage of in the process? You know, do they have those trusted advisors that they can go to? And that helps women walk through that process of knowing, okay, how do I deal with this product? Yes, I want to keep the farm, but how do I make it work? So it's a great program, and it's just something that I was fortunate enough to do in my extension career. And uh, uh, I just, I think uh, a lot of good can come out of it. So, so tell our listeners out there who, who may be women who are like, hey, that sounds interesting to me. How would they get involved in something like that? Well, I think the first call I would make would be to your local extension office. It's not a shameless plug, right? I, <laughs> no. You know, I actually love the fact that you said that because anytime I talk to extension people, they'll always say, regardless of what their position is, the first thing you need to do is call the extension service. So that, that yeah, makes sense. Um, and I think, uh, seriously, uh, call the extension office and because we do uh, have someone in, in the, the state extension office, Dr. Laura Hendricks, who if, if it's something that's not a local project, that uh, that your local extension office can get in touch with Dr. Hendricks, and she is the coordinator for extension. So, Or if you're around Boone County... <laughs> Call the Boone County Extension Office, and uh, they know how to track me down because it is something that I've stayed involved with even though I am retired. So so tell me, um, even though you and your husband, Gary, are quote-unquote retired, <laughs> you're running a farm. And so tell me what you all are doing here on this farm. 
Well, uh, we, uh, we do have a cow-calf operation, and I laugh and say I do whatever he tells me to do or asks me to do, so everybody kind of laughs at that, but, uh, but yeah, I just, we do have a cow-calf operation, and Gary's had cattle basically his whole life, so whenever uh, he and I married, um, it's just something that we, that I helped him, and we just continue to, to raise cattle, and something that you gotta love it. So, <laughs> well, tell 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 maybe some of our younger female listeners who don't have the wealth of experience that you have in a farming life. What are some of the highs and lows you guys have run into over the years as far as your farming operation goes, and and maybe just the you know, hey, you gotta stick with it and work through it. And I mean, you you've obviously experienced some of that. Well, definitely uh, the market. I mean, you know, you're going to have your highs and lows in, in the market. And uh, as, as you said, we have a cow-calf operation. So, you know, we we actually have uh, spring calvers. So you you got to look at the markets. I give I, all the credit goes to Gary. And seriously, I do just whatever he asked me to do. But he is a fantastic manager. So, but you just have to stick with it and know that you're going to have those highs and lows. Uh, you're going to deal with, of course, this summer has been great with the, the moisture that we've had. But you're going to have the summers where you get no rain and you're dealing with drought the whole summer and hay finding hay is a challenge of course that's that's not knock on wood that's not been uh the issue this summer but uh you know not too uh far back <laughs> in the past it, it was so just things like that um you know then and just the day-to-day stuff uh, in this part of the state we might have a pretty cold winter every now and then although recently our winters have been fairly mild but you know, it's always the the coldest night when the cow has an issue cabin or, you know, some of that stuff. But that that's just part of it. I mean, that's... That yeah, it, it's for you now, you can say after after a number of years of being on the farm, that's just part of it. And you'll you'll get through it and, yeah. and you'll move on and, and, and do the next thing. Tell us um, in terms of careers for women in agriculture. You're mentioning you came from a home economics background. That's That's what they called it back then. And now there's this vast array of different things that you can choose from that are involved in ag. And what kind of recommendations would you have for for young women that are coming up through the ranks and thinking, yeah, I wanna go into agriculture in some way, shape or form? Um, my advice would be whatever you set your heart to then go for it because i think it's just wide open i mean i um i wasn't active in ffa in high school as uh, fairly active in our in 4-h when i was growing up but um one of my good friends who actually is a recent retiree from extension we went to the same high school and she talks about uh, she was one of the first girls in the in our high school ag program, and you know, you can do it. You, you you've got those folks that that blaze the the way and kind of cleared the path for you. So I would say if there's something you want to do, then then do it. Uh, don't don't you know don't feel like you're being held back because you're a woman. Because I think you can do whatever you set your mind to. Tell us in terms of uh boone county have have you do you see now more women who are actually running 
farms themselves or working on a daily basis with with the spouse that's running the farm oh definitely definitely um you know like we said earlier in the interview women have always had an active role but i think now it's just maybe it's a little more predominant or more attention is given to it but 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 definitely and i know that's something you and i had talked about is is kind of focusing on some some women and and this project is particular to boone county but you could you could go with any county in the state or nation it would be the same way uh, but definitely you've got women who uh who are staying home and taking care of cattle because their husband has the job that takes them out of town uh, or you know, or their husband has a career. Or maybe they're in town, but they have a, a different career, and the women are uh, at, at home taking care of of the livestock or uh, or poultry operation, whatever it may be, uh, because that's you know they just that's what works for that family. So, so if you had to do it all over again, would you still have gone into agriculture? Yes, without a doubt. You know, I think uh, I've said this before. Um, looking back on my 30-year career with Extension, I think it's just doors that that God opened for me. And you know, I looking back on it, and it's it's very rewarding. It's just, uh, of course, we all like to eat. We all have to eat, and just that process, whether it's working with production agriculture or with a food safety program or with a program such as Annie's Project that uh, all the inputs that go into agriculture and the ag world, uh, it's just very rewarding and it's very rewarding to help people. And when you see people that are passionate and you have to be passionate about agriculture because it can be pretty tough at times, but uh, it's, it's just, yes, without a doubt. Well, she is Nita Cooper and she is a 30-year uh, veteran from Cooperative Extension uh, and a woman in agriculture. And Nita, thank you so much for being on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Thank you. Now Ken Moore talks to Rusty Hayes, coach of the championship-winning Southern Arkansas University Mule Rider Rodeo Team. Hayes has been the coach since 2005 and he talks about this year's team and the secrets to the team's continuing success. I'm Ken Moore, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm at Southern Arkansas University, and we're sitting here in Story Arena, a showplace for the state of Arkansas for rodeoing. And, uh, and, and SAU has a wonderful history of uh, having an outstanding rodeo team, something that when you think of University athletics, you think of football, basketball, baseball, maybe track and field, other athletic endeavors. You don't think about rodeo, but here you do. And I'm sitting and visiting with Rusty Hayes, and Rusty is the coach of the SAU rodeo team. And Rusty, just kind of visit with us for a few minutes and tell us your story. How long have you been here coaching the team, and what makes rodeo uh, such a big deal here at SAU? I've been here on the team uh, running the program since 2005. I was actually on the team in 82, 83. Some friends of mine, we started the deal or got it going again, and it's been continually since then. Uh, the support of the community, the staff, uh, 
the administration here is what's kept it going. Uh, the number of people, uh, there's been over 500 student athletes that have come through this program in that time. Uh, so that speaks volumes there. It does. It certainly does. And in this little uh, nice little room here off to the side of the arena, I see the photography of some of the students from years gone by. And, and so to attract students here to Southern Arkansas University to be a member of your team, you know, you've got one of the only two rodeo teams in the state of Arkansas now. So talk about kind of the history of rodeoing on the university level in Arkansas, and some of it's even been at small two-year colleges, as I understand it. That's right, Ken. It's Over the years, uh, just about every school in Arkansas has had a program. They've had one up at BB at uh, North Ark at Harrison. Uh, Monticello's got one. Uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas State had one at one time. So over the years, a lot of schools have uh, ventured into it. Uh, we're the only one that's really stayed true to it and invested uh, a lot into the program to the youth who want to participate. Story Arena, talk about the history of your facility here uh, and how SAU came to have this outstanding facility. We received a very generous contribution from uh, Mr. Thurl's story and his wife Jan uh, to get this project going and to fund most of it. Uh, they wanted to do something for youth uh, and for the region, for the city of Magnolia itself. Uh, they thought this would be a wonderful avenue to do it in. Uh, it's highlighted here on Highway 82. It's a beautiful facility. We had some leeway in how we did it uh, with the color schemes and stuff to go with the school colors and give you that collegiate feel. Uh, it is college rodeo and everything collegiate. You, you want to build traditions uh kids wanting to remember I went to school there and be proud of it and all this does it's a tremendous help in recruiting uh, when families show up here to tour the school and look around and they see the facilities they know you're serious about it and all they can do is dream of riding in that arena under the bright lights one night. Talk about your team itself I understand you have 40 members of your team uh, this year you've competed well on the national level. That's right. We've, the last 13 years in a row, we've had contestants at the College National Finals Rodeo. Uh, we average, try to average six or seven kids. Last year we took four. Uh, we had one. Uh, J.C. Sullivan set the arena record out at uh, Casper in the goat tying. She was an unbelievable 5.7 seconds, which is just fast. Uh, we've had kids here. I think we've hit 37 states, couple Canadian provinces over the years. Right now, we've got a girl from as far away as Hawaii uh, and Massachusetts. Uh, so we bring in kids nationwide. We're real heavy here in Arkansas, too, with a lot of Arkansas kids, uh, especially this year. We had some, a really good recruiting class, uh, but all the surrounding states, too. Uh, so we do have a nationwide reach to bring kids into here. My biggest recruiting tool is happy kids, is what I say. If the ones who are here and have been here, if they're happy and they like it, uh, with so much on social media now, word gets out, uh, and that's where a large percentage of our first leads on student-athletes is through that. Uh, somebody say, hey, I've got this friend, or I know this kid from Indiana or wherever that uh kind of interested in going here, and that gets us started and gets us on the path to bringing them here. And then the... Uh 
excitement about being able to travel just like other athletic teams you're you're busy during the fall season i'm assuming does it continue through the spring as well and you're traveling all over the country yes we basically have a season in the fall and again in the spring with the finals there in the summer in june about the second week in june in casper so uh we're pretty busy in september and october november kind of take a little break crank back up march april and into june so yeah, it's basically a full year-round activity here where are some of the other rodeos you go to out of Arkansas? We travel mainly in Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, some in Alabama. Uh, right now, that's we're in what's called the Ozark region, which is everything in Missouri, Arkansas, North Louisiana, and from the Red River north and back to the east. Uh, so it's a large region. Our average trip's probably about seven hours. Uh, so we do quite a bit of traveling. And equine is a big industry in Arkansas, of course, for this uh type of activity how many uh, horses do you have here on campus and uh, I know it probably takes quite a few do the kids bring their own or do you just does the university have its own uh, supply of horses for your team Uh, the kids bring their own the average is probably two I've got a few kids with four horses right now I'm probably 80 head of horses here on campus uh, that they use practicing Uh, and then we have all of our practice cattle team roping cattle tie down calves breakaway calves goats for the goat tying uh, so it's a pretty intense operation around here. Uh, again, for the people who aren't as familiar with some of the events itself, what other type of events do these collegiate students get involved with? In college rodeos, basically same as pro rodeo. You have your bareback, your saddle bronc, your bull riding on your rough stock in, your team roping, your steer wrestling, your calf roping, uh, and your barrel racing. Then we also had to breakaway roping for the girls and goat tying for the girls. So that gives the girls about four events they can compete in, and the boys can do about six. Now you said you have 40 members on the team. How Break it down by gender. How many are women and how many are men? Uh, this year we're really strong on girls. We're probably 25 girls and 15 boys the boys love the ratio <laughs> it's uh it's just one of the just something that happened this year uh some of it was planned some of it wasn't uh but usually we try to do half and half we try to have as many girls as we do guys kind of keep everything even and to have you know quality animals to to ride there's has to be an education that these young people grow up in and learning how to take care of horses themselves so when we think of animal agriculture we think of you know other types of livestock but uh you know they bring with them an education in 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 equine care don't they yeah they do uh and that's the one of the biggest factors in with these kids they're not just going to class and studying and social life they also have a horse two or three to tend to they have to make time to practice plus they have to get their studies done and go to class uh, some of them have to work uh, so it's a lot to it so you're getting ready uh, you've got some competitions coming up uh, over the next few weeks and then talk about how big an event it is at the end of october to host your own state rodeo our rodeo uh, the 31st of october 1st and 2nd november is our premier event we work for a solid year we try to put on an excellent show we try to make it family friendly uh we do a lot of stuff to give it that college flair uh we want to put on a good show we try to get through in about two hours and 15 minutes two and a half hours we keep it reasonably priced uh it's a three-day event so it is a lot to it uh but it's it's exciting the kids look forward to it it's what they want to do here in in front of your home crowd your peers your classmates uh it's it's a big deal and how many other teams uh, usually come down here uh, to compete against your team? 
There's about 17 other schools in our region that ascend uh, a team or so many students, so it's pretty well spread out amongst our region. Name some of the other universities that may have uh, rodeo teams that we may look forward to you hosting here. Usually uh, the top schools in the region, University of Tennessee at Martin, uh, Missouri Valley College up in Missouri is really tough, Murray State Rodeo have one, University of West Alabama, uh, the University of Arkansas at Monticello is our closest rival. Uh, so there's a lot of big schools in college rodeo in our region. That's outstanding. And uh, just kind of as we wrap this up, brag on some of your top riders and team members, if you will, some of them have been in your program for a while. I've got a senior girl, Michaela Cottle, who's coming back for fourth year. She's made the college finals in the breakaway in the past three years. Uh, to make it once in your career's really good to make it three times is outstanding we believe she'll be a four-time college finals qualifier uh we've got another young man that's been out there twice uh, logan graham uh another man's been once uh, we've got four fifth year team members who are here getting their masters uh, if you get your masters you get an extra card to rodeo for five years instead of four uh, we've got some freshmen who were outstanding in high school, uh, and we're really excited about what they're going to get done for us. All right. Well, Rusty, thank you for sharing a little bit about your team here at SAU. We know that the whole state is proud of what you're doing down here in Magnolia, and uh, we look forward to uh, hopefully telling more of your story when the rodeo gets here at the end of October. Thanks for your time. Thank you all, and we're proud to represent Arkansas in the sport of rodeo. Been speaking with Rusty Hayes, the coach of the Southern Arkansas University rodeo team on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, the Arkansas rice industry donated more than 140,000 pounds of rice to the Arkansas Food Bank September 17th in honor of National Rice Month. Arkansas leads the nation in rice production and the industry comes together each year to help the food bank fight hunger in the state. Kenmore spoke to Arkansas Food Bank CEO Rhonda Sanders and Arkansas Rice Council Chair Dan Hossman about the donation. I'm Ken Morin on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. I'm down at the Arkansas Food Bank here in Little Rock. We've just had the annual donation of rice by the Arkansas Rice Council to the Food Bank. Do this every year in recognition of uh, Rice Month here in Arkansas. And I'm with uh, Rhonda Sanders. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Food Bank, and Dan Hossman, who's Chair of the Arkansas Rice Council. And Rhonda, uh, talk about, again, the relationship uh, the Food Bank has with the Rice Council. I know you look forward to this donation every year. Yes, I do. We get very excited about it. The opportunity to provide this much rice to the hungry people that we serve is really uh, a wonderful opportunity. And we can't do any of the things that we do without our partners, and our rice growers and producers are key in that. Hunger is a home issue. It's a local issue. And uh, our partners who recognize that and are willing to give of their best to help feed those who are hungry make a huge difference. No question. And so how will this food be distributed? Yes, yeah, so we divide this rice equally between all 75 counties in our state. And the food banks that serve those counties get that rice and in turn give it to local agencies that open the doors and serve people. So that's how it will be distributed, and it gets distributed very quickly. Awesome. Dan, uh, chair of the Rice Council, what does it mean to you to make this donation? And talk about how much you actually gave today. Well, representing the great rice industry of the state of Arkansas, uh, being able to donate about 141,000 pounds of, of rice, 
in cooperation with all the mills and, and, and people in the industry across the state. It's great to be a part of. It's great uh, as a producer to see uh, fruits of our labor being donated to people in need that, that really need this, this product, uh, locally grown, locally sourced, uh, right here in our backyard to help such so many people. It's, it's great to be a part of. Yeah, no question. It's all about benevolence, isn't it? We produce, you as a rice grower, produce such a bounty. We have a bountiful supply of food, and it's just a great thing for the industry to share that bounty, right? Absolutely, for sure. It's uh, uh, Everyone across the state that grows rice needs to, to realize what's happening here today and, and the, the impact they're making across the state. It, uh, it, it just it, It's a blessing for those in need, and, and it's a blessing for those of us that's able to grow it and do it. No question. The governor is going to proclaim uh, today is Rice Day. This is Rice Month in September. Uh, why is that proclamation so important to promote your industry? Well, every day uh, there's less and less people uh, associated with agriculture and, and on the farm. And, and to be able to educate the general public, the state of Arkansas, that we are a $6 billion plus impact to the state's economy. We do employ and uh, roughly 25,000 plus people across this state. Uh, it, it's it's very important that our message and and our importance is relayed to the general public that that's uninformed about that. Uh, Rhonda, just one final word from you. This gift is well received. You've already said that, but uh, you need more. This is an ongoing effort for you here at the food bank, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is an ongoing effort. People are in need every day in different situations. Those that come to our agencies often don't need them anymore or another crisis happens, maybe a medical crisis, loss of a job. So it's ever-evolving, and the need is always there, and we appreciate all the help we get. Congratulations on this. Thank you, Dan, so much. On behalf of the Rice Council, I've been speaking with Dan Hosman of the Arkansas Rice Council and Rhonda Sanders of the Arkansas Food Bank on this edition of AgCast. That's it for this week. Check in again next Thursday for more ag news and interviews. 